Welcome to the Recruiter Ricky podcast with me, Ricky Martin, on behalf of Hyper Recruitment Solutions. This podcast has one simple vision. We want to help you get hired and we want to help you get hired more successfully. To do so, I'm going to interview a number of business heavyweights who have set up companies, grown companies, but most importantly, developed and supported their talent to do so. They've looked at numerous amount of CVs, conducted an extreme amount of interviews, and onboarded a number of candidates into their companies throughout that process. Firstly, if we can establish who they are and what they do, we can then secondly look for what stands out in a CV, what do they look for when they're interviewing, and how does a candidate actually act to be the candidate they thought they were during the interview. So enough about me, enough about this podcast, let's go over to one of my guests now to unearth more secrets, more tips, more advice on how to get hired. Hey everyone, this is Ricky Martin. It's the Recruiter Ricky, Series 2 of the How to Get Hired podcast. I'm with a guest that we were hunting down, tracking for Series 1. Um, very busy man, very experienced, an amazing story. Um, and I think there's a lot of, when we go through this, what you find is a lot of conversations, hopefully, that are relatable to most people. So I'm joined by, I'll say the, the, the full name, Alan Barrett. Um, however, um, we're going to use the term Al percent, and, and one day when he gets his knighthood, he will be Sir Alan, which is very similar to a business partner that I have. Um, but Al is the CEO and co-founder of Grenade. They are a, you might be able to sell them better than I will in a moment, Al, but they are a nutrition and supplement brand, which I have personally used. So I'm not going to, I'm not being paid to do this. I'm not getting free supplements. I personally used and had benefits in my training. They are a worldwide organization and a brief snapshot of the story. They were founded with 27 pounds and sold for the reverse of 27, 72 million pounds. Have I got my facts right, Al? You have, yeah, yeah, broadly. Perfect. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Ricky, for having me. And I was just saying, we were just out of camera as well, and I remember actually watching you on The, on the Apprentice. Was it 2012? 2012, um, you're right. You've got a good Yeah, good, so, good, yeah so I think because it was the year we launched 50 Cal, which it turned out that obviously you using for your wrestling career while you were wrestling yeah. bears and other stuff and rolling around in, in jam and taking 50 Cal and other stuff <laughs> that you used to do, obviously. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's great to catch up with you. Sorry, it's been a bit... Um, been tricky getting together everyone's busy but we, we, we finally made it well what's great is despite how difficult the world is right now with COVID-19 and the impact coronavirus had it's great that actually you'll find it's bringing people together we were struggling to get this working with where we both are all yeah. day long in different so the fact that this has brought us together is great and where I think your story is really interesting I think a it's a great success growth story of a business that anyone could admire to but to do that as we said before this podcast you can't do that without great people you have to have hired good people. You'd have to have developed good people. You'd have to have trusted people. And that's the thing that I think will be really important that people hear when we, when we move on to that, um, how you've gone about selecting good talent for your business and what they can learn to help themselves get employed. So rather than me giving a very quick 30 seconds, this is Grenade, I'm going to pass over to you as, as, as the, as the co-founder and CEO to tell us a bit more about the company and how you've got to where you are today. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. So um, yeah, as you said, co-founder and, and CEO of Grenade, this wasn't my first sports nutrition style business. It's the first brand I've ever owned. Prior to this, I had a sports nutrition import and distribution business. So I've actually been in health and fitness and around supplements for 30 years actually this year. So I started when I was, um, I was 14 years old, but I went to my local gym and then I went on work experience and they never got rid of me. Um, so I've been interested in supplements ever since, both for my own use and just because I've always been interested in performance and I've been very interested specifically in the, in the military. I have been since I was a kid. So then I had this distribution business, which we 
fell out of love with her, say, we, because I started that in 1999, met my wife in 2003. She came into that business in 2005, and then we sold that in 2008 uh, after really having the idea for Grenade, which goes as far back as 2006. So between 2006 and 2010, we just sort of trademarked, protected, saved up and sort of thought about what we do. We put a lot of planning into Grenade, which yeah. is why, although we're sort of 10 years old, um, pretty much last week, actually, uh, we, we, did, we did quite a lot of groundwork before in terms of pr protecting it. So, um, yeah, Grenade was founded in 2010. And although we didn't really have any money, you know, we knew a lot. Um, we, and, and Jules and I are just both phenomenally hard workers. And I do think what you what you lack in probably brain power and other <laughs> stuff and, and luck, you can just make up for with sort of sheer hard work. Um, so we powered heaven for the first two years. We just had one product. We didn't recruit anyone at all. You know, we worked from home. Um, and then it was actually when we were four years into the business, we'd never had a day off. We'd never taken a salary. The business is valued for th 35 million pounds. So we, we pretty much kept half the shares, rolled half the shares, went again, sold again more shares in 2017 to Line Capital for an EV of 72 million. And then who knows where we are today, but still CEO, still enjoying it, I think, um, despite so everything that's going years, on. 30 years in a very, very competitive industry, because you can go online and Google whatever you're looking for, whey, protein, creatine, pre-worker, you get a thousand, and sometimes it's the person who's paid the most to put it on pay-per-click to be top of Google's what you yeah. click on. How have you been able to stand out in that market? Because it fascinates me. I look at it thinking, yeah, I'd love to have one of these, but then you sit there thinking, actually, the, it's really so hard, hard to, to stand out in the crowd. Yeah, so it comes back to probably learning when I had the distribution business and I was an importer for a lot of these brands, and there were, there were well-made products that were, that were badly distributed or badly marketed, and there was really poor product that was well marketed. And I thought, actually, if you could make a, and as a user anyway, not just a sports nutrition, but of any product, um, you know, I'm, I'm a consumer the same with the rest of us. And I, I hate it when I, I buy a, a tool to do a job or, you know, a, a product that's supposed to do something. I'm expecting something and it doesn't do it. And I was just repeatedly disappointed with, with other brands. So in the end, I thought, actually, and, and, and also the, the range of product they have that you just didn't need. So because I was a distributor, some of these brands have like 200 products more and 99.9% you know, .9 didn't sell. And as an importer, you've got to import it all. It just had these slow moving products. Actually, I'd always looked up to brands like Red Bull and Coke, things like that. So actually, if we have a, a brand, let's just focus on one product. Let's protect it. It's a very copycat industry, like you've said. So yeah. let's actually create a, a, a real brand, something that's protectable. And then, yeah, now we've got 200 design marks, trademarks and patents just on... on so Renate. the first product you um, brought to market, Al, what was that? So that was Thermodetonator, which in okay. 2010, which yeah, is, is our weight loss product. Still 10 years on now. It's one of the top selling weight loss products in the UK. Out of curiosity, as a nutrition brand, is, did you go after weight loss as the first kind of product area because it's more, more people are looking for weight loss as opposed to weight gain? Yeah, it, it appeals to the most people. Uh, it worked for the tooling that we had in mind. So because we were called Grenade and we decided that having just the name Grenade wasn't enough, we wanted that Grenade bottle as well. Yeah. So therefore, if you didn't know the name but knew the bottle, you knew the name. So it's just one of those unique brands. And this was all actually quite carefully thought, thought of. But if you know one, you know the other. When I've worked in gyms over the years and I've been recommending weight loss products, say, to people, they couldn't remember the names. They're all very scientific. They're all in generic white bottles. They all look exactly the same. And you couldn't pick one out of a shelf. And as you've hit the nail on the head, you know, that's the problem in the industry. You, you just have to have something. It's, it's, not, it's not the best product that will work. It's the best remembered product that, 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 mm. that will do well. 
So I thought, actually, what if the best remembered was actually the best product? And I think having kind of those two and that double edge, having the name and the bottle really helped. And then, um, but you imagine if, you know, we've got this idea to make a grenade bottle. So it got to be something relatively small to fit that bottle. And, and weight loss had been my expertise in knowing about, um, you know, having friends who are biochemists and other friends who are um, supplement producers. But had that been a protein powder, for instance, well, all of a sudden, you know, your grenade bottle's like two yeah, feet nice. tall nearly. Um, so it just doesn't work. So, and one thing retailers don't have is elastic shelves. Remember, this isn't pre-internet, you know, far from it, but internet and digital sales aren't my speciality. And you know, I used to work in a shop, I used to work in gyms. So I understand that face-to-face -face selling and creating theater in a shop, which actually, dare I say it now, a lot of brands that, that come to the forefront are probably very digital and actually they, they don't have the theater in stores and, and stores have been forgotten about a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, people just think it's all about .com, which is critically important, but how much Coca-Cola, you know, would they sell if it was just an internet brand? What well, about it's Red funny Bull? you say that because a lot of lead generation these days, most people are targeting everyone through mail shops of some capacity through email. It's funny these days as a business owner, when I get something in the post, which is a well-presented pitch on a piece of PDF. It's funny how I read that better because that's the theatre and the drama of what engages me than it does having those 50 mail shots where all I do all day long is hit the unsubscribe button as opposed to we yeah. look at the product. So yeah. um, and, and I like the idea of theatre and I guess your prior background in the gyms meant that you understood your your customers better than just what they're buying. You understood what they want, what their eye attaches to and building those and, and dare I say the whole grenading is a bit cool, isn't it? You think about it. You're walking well, in with... It's quite yeah, cool. there's kind of... It can easily be sort of cheesy, and we've tried to avoid cheese because it's a gimmicky industry anyway. And yeah. anyone that says it's not a gimmicky industry, you know, it's, it's just doesn't know anything about the industry. I mean, a lot of these powdered-type products, for instance, I mean, you know, it's kind of powdered milk, really. For, I mean, it's more technical than that, but it, it's uh, certainly with all the American brands of, you know, like Newton Mass and blah, blah, and, and all this. And, you know, it's got quite a wacky name. So we sort of took it a step further. And all good brands, I think, are just extensions of their, their founders. And they end yeah. up, you know, being whatever the founder wants them to be. So that's why really for me, as, as someone who trained myself since I was 14 years old as a, as a, as a user, enjoying interacting with people. I worked in gyms for 10 years. Um, and listening to what they wanted and what they were trying to do, what they liked and what they didn't like. And even we learned a lot with thermodetonator, for instance, in terms of, you know, people don't like taking capsules, believe it or not, because they either can't physically swallow them because they're too big or there's too many of them or they forget. So we were one of the first brands, actually, all of our competitors at the time were 12 capsules a day. So we made sure ours was four. And then we had the challenge of actually getting, you know, more active ingredients into less capsules, which meant a more expensive product. And we're already, we were behind with regards to tooling. So we really spent a lot of money on tooling. So it was kind of getting more and more and more expensive. But I, I would just firmly believe, and, you know, such what this seems to have paid off, consumers are paying more for something if it's better. And I yeah. think nowadays there's just so many people who just don't get that and they want to be the cheapest. Every week I'll have someone contact me and go, we want to sell you stuff online. You know, and I go, well, okay, well, you and everyone else, you know, why you? Oh, we'll be cheaper than everyone else. Oh, well done. Um, you know, it's just like, you know, everybody wants to be cheaper than everyone else. So actually, every now and again, it's quite nice to be sort of reassuringly expensive. <laughs> as I think well, Stella like It's, it's going to help you stand out. People will talk about because you are right. You can get every Me Too product in the world that offers you a nutrition product and you don't know if it works or doesn't. 
there is an element of some that you pay a bit more, it's probably going to be better and it's probably going to get there. Out of curiosity, I mean, you've probably had this asked time and time again over the years, but I'm going to put it out there. Grenade, to me, instantly, I'm like, that's quite a cool, hard, like, a man's brand. How are you able to make it attractive and presentable to, to females? Because it does feel very masculine as a, as a brand. How have you been able to break down that side of the market? Do you want to have a wild guess at how many... Uh, have a guess at the male-female split of our consumers. Just have, well, have a wild guess. That, now you've said that, it's going to be the higher percentage is going to be female now that you put that out there. But I guess if, if I was product testing to start, I'd say, well, that one might attract me. Would it attract my wife? But I'm going to go 70-30 and bias of the females on base that you've asked me that question. Okay, well, it's 51% male and 49% female. Wow, look at that. Shock, what a great blend. Shock, it, it shocks everyone. I'll tell you for yeah. why. Because uh, not probably the case now, but certainly five, six years ago, maybe, mm. um, we were the only brand that weren't patronising women. Yeah. So, you know, we, we were going to get a listing with Boots, for instance. And bearing in mind, you know, we've got this time now, the Firma Detonator, and it's the best-selling white loss product in the country by a mile. And I, I don't want to generalise, but I've never, ever met, I mean, certainly a woman that doesn't want to lose weight, and certainly most men, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Boots contacted us, want to sell the product, but they don't want the green one. They want a pink one for women. And, you know, we won't do it because, yeah. you know, there are other brands out there that do a lot of this and we just call it pink it, shrink it. And I just think it's, it, it, I don't want to say it's offensive to women, but it's a bit like, well, here's the, you know, here's the man's one that works. And, oh, yeah. you're a woman. So, oh, we must make it smaller because it'd be little yeah. delicate hands and we'll put kittens on it and we'll make it pink for you. Yeah. And oh, we've done it too strong. So we'll make it because you want the weaker fat burner, don't you? And they're going, uh, yeah. no. I mean, again, from working in gyms, women are nuts when it comes to weight loss. I mean, you know, they'd be taking twice the amount that the men were taking. Um, so I think, you know, when we think that, you know, we sort of don't patronise women and, and we, we are a serious brand, you know, we make serious product for serious people like military and specifically um, special forces and Olympic athletes. These are serious people, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And then when it comes to, you know, the male-female split, why can't the woman have the, like, the, the man's one? Absolutely. Um, so, What's nice is you've stayed true to your core principles. You, this is yeah, our product. This is our authentic product. And we're not washing it down because that's what you think people will buy. This is what, this is what we believe in. Do you, do you know where the inspiration came from for this? Do you remember the, um, the Yorkie advert years ago? Yeah, the, no, the, it was the, um, no women not, or not, just for men. Not, not, it was not for girls. That's not it. for girls. Yeah, so women went out and bought that overwhelmingly in, their, in, in huge numbers. Yeah. Um, at, you know, and I think it was something like 70% women bought that because it said not for girls. So I think nowadays where, you know, everyone's kind of quite precious um, and it's a, bit, it's a different generation now to, you know, certainly my generation as such, uh, you know, you've got to be really careful you know, what you do and don't say, you know, the last thing you want to do is kind of stereotype people, like I said, into that, you know, the, the pink one versus the green one, so to speak. But yeah, so we actually, we, we walked away from boots, not once, but three times, over not, oh, yeah. not making the, the pink one. And sure enough now, you know, we're in boots, but not with our weight loss products, but we're in there with our drinks and bars. But we, all, we always said that, you know, Jules and I always said, actually, we would stay true to the, to the brand. Um, because again, this all came from experience. Brands sell out. You know, mm. brands do just sell out all the time, especially when, you know, founders sell big stakes in the businesses. And, you know, why wouldn't they? And because it's risky and, you know, we don't have kids. So 
you know, my neighbour, for instance, uh, he built an eight hundred million pound fortune. Never got married. Never had kids. Died at sixty-seven. Left it all to charity. So I'm not saying that's not a nice thing to do. What I'm saying is, you know, you don't want to be the richest person in the graveyard, to be honest, because business is risky. It's hard. We put huge amount of sacrifice and effort into it. Um, And actually, there's nothing wrong with every now and again saying, you know what, I want something to show for all the hard work. So hence why when we've had decisions of, 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 you know, selling and carrying on, we've always wanted to carry on. But, you know, we've always kind of rolled a stake and taken a chunk off the table because we've always been happy having a smaller share of a much bigger business. Um, so it, it's, you know, or you can own hundred percent potentially of something that's small. It's the typical um, dragon pen dilemma. I always say, take your 20% for what they're offering you because your business is going nowhere on your own. Keep a hundred percent of nothing or, or, or retain yeah. 80% of something that has a value with these people. I mean, I always sit here thinking it shows so short sighted a decade yeah. on. So you know what you, the business officially launched despite all the pre-work early, uh, early 2010, yeah. 10 years on, tell me a little bit about size of business so where you're distributing in the world um revenues if they're things that you're happy to disclose where is the company now 10 years on from that brainchild of your wife and you in 2010 and where you are today so so as of march this year um we have the best month we've ever had um it's obviously been interesting since then but you know we're still doing very well uh not as well as we were doing so obviously a lot of the shops are shut but uh, best month we've ever had and the size and scale of the business really been on track this year to do probably between 80 and 100 million in revenue and we are in uh, 80 countries in a fairly meaningful way and when I say meaningful you know we've got kind of retailer support there so thousands of retail stores across the US Canada South Africa Australia um, India and 5,000 pharmacies in India so and again there's all that you know, the other sort of smaller ancillary countries, but growing rapidly across Europe through petrol stations and forecourts and airports um, and so on. So, and then 70 people um, in, across, spread across three different uh, continents. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, COVID hit, but it's just a matter of a, a, adjusting. We're enjoying kind of feeling a bit more like a startup. So, you know, we've got well, everyone working from home. Yeah. Um, a lot of the channels like food service and coffee shops and, and so on, of course, are, are closed. And ironically, all of the best locations to have fast-moving consumer goods in the UK, like airports, train stations, coffee shops, became the worst place to have yeah. fast-moving consumer goods in the UK because there's no people. So um, luckily, you know, we, we've got a very uh, substantial digital business as well, and we work closely with all the retailers. So everyone's just been kind of learning on their feet, and this will just be kind of, you know, the year that we almost lost a year um, so do you think but actually recovery, we've got a better business when we're fully out of covid if you consider that you've diverted your attention from the best places for fmcg product to be looked to, to, to be to be purchased to what would have been probably your less favorable do you, do you think you'll recover with actually dominating as best you can both sides of those markets the, the footfall and the digital footfall yeah what's actually happened is uh, we've ended up with a smaller business because unless you make hand sanitizer everyone's ended up with a smaller business yeah. um and, and actually one of my closest friends owns a hand sanitizer factory who was yeah. going to sell it last year and then um and then didn't so the best thing he ever didn't do um but the yeah our market share has actually grown so we've had a smaller business but a better business so our market share has grown from 38 percent to 44 and the market itself the category that we're operating has shrunk by about 53 percent but we've shrunk by 45 so we've actually we've we're beating the market yeah. um so yeah you know it's not ideal but we're not we're not concerned um and you know this is part and parcel of learning from business and one thing i always wanted to do you know i remember when we were two people with one product and 
pretty much one customer in one country. And, you know, if something goes wrong, you've lost your entire business overnight. Yeah. So with them, you know, that's actually why we ended up having more products, more retailers, more countries, because all the time you kind of de-risking. And, you know, now being in Australia and, you know, obviously not with the US, but being in Australia and the Far East and selling to China, for instance, as those countries kind of unlock first, you know, we, we've got a, a, a better business than ever now across Australia, New Zealand um, and, and China. And as the pandemic's kind of, you know, moved move west and it starts to, to reopen, we, we can just focus on the countries where you can do well. We'd actually just launched in Germany, which again sort of had so far managed it um, pretty yeah. well. So we've always been, um, you know, de-risking as we've been going along. But you just, you know, like I said, this, this happens with business. And this is where, you know, having that, you know, bricks and clicks, we call it, where we kind of got, a lot of bricks and mortar retail and also a very digitally contemporary brand that's quite savvy as well so you can just make make the most of whatever's happening at the time really um i feel sorry for anyone that's kind of i've written that sorry? down bricks and, bricks and clicks I'm bricks and clicks like that, yeah no yeah no problem so and it, it's i feel sorry for anyone that had, had you know didn't have such breadth you know in the business because you think actually i always thought you know really because something you get asked a lot is, well, what happens if people's habits change and they stop buying your stuff? And, you know, you can say, you know, what, what, what if for lots of reasons. But I thought, God, if something comes along and wipes out every retailer, people don't want to eat anymore. And, it, you know, it takes out all the gyms um, mm. and not just in this country, but the whole world. You know, we've probably got bigger problems, but pretty much that's what happened, um, you know, to be honest. Um, but we ended up just focusing on things like operations that we never really get a chance to focus on much. Cause when you're in the just day to day, you just, you just, you just ship stuff. You're not necessarily yeah. doing it the best way, but when you're busy, you just, you just, you know, get it out there because all of a sudden then everything pretty much shut down and we hadn't got inbound containers. We hadn't got, you know, air freight became, it was 10 times more expensive. We had to really start thinking about refining and operationally how we got better. So we just focused on making a better business, but without losing that key messaging for consumers, you know, keeping our social media going um, and, you know, think about where we could just, as I said, really have a better business coming out the other side rather than kind of the, the woe is me, it's, you know, it's a disaster, we're all going to die sort of thing. Um, what you know, you shared, I think forever. resonates with two different types of people. Anyone who's in a business, in a senior role or owns a business, de-risk yourself is what we're saying. Try and mm -hmm. look at different markets, different customers. So if one of them does fall short, you've got other areas to lean on. You're not kind of pigeonholed to one. And to an employee that I always think when people join a job, they can't always wait for their manager, their director to say, do you want to take on new training, new things? The more you build skills within a company, when you join a firm, the more opportunity you have moving sideways. If there are times of, of struggle like this, times of change, your business pivots into a different direction, the more skills you've got, the more employable, the more kind of pivotal you are to that company. So what you've shared works both for people running the business as well as people when they're in a job or looking for a job to be as, I'm not saying a jack of all trades, what I'm saying is become masters in many trades. Yeah, I, it's funny you should say that because when you, when say Jules and I first decided that we needed to employ people, like I said, it took us a couple of years because we couldn't really work out what we, what we needed. We, we, we got no premises. I think actually you've got to employ someone who's going to come and sit working at our house. Um, and aside from that, then, you know, I was sort of doing the selling and making the product and then, you know, wrapping pallets and delivering them to, you know, one of our two distributors we had at the time. And then, you know, bits of social media because that was starting to take off. And then Jules is kind of doing marketing and branding and everything else, you know, invoicing and paperwork and, you know, all the trademarking and IP. So we just kind of split the roles 50-50. And then if you're going to take on one employee, you know, what do you need? Because 
mm. we don't have a warehouse really premises there's no there's no need for like kind of any any warehousey type people the npd i'm doing um you know we haven't really developed the brand as such for developing it so it's not like you're in a marketeer it was actually really hard so it was only until we got premises and then we actually brought someone in who's still with us actually sarah who came in as our office manager who's a friend of jules is from the gym um, and then she came in just to super organized, just to kind of help take some of the day to work off our plates where we could go and do um, other stuff that was just a bit um, yeah, more specialized, let's say. So, you know, Jules was sitting there kind of invoicing all day and you think actually you can get someone to do that. So take off the plate. Yeah. But, you know, not everyone can go and do marketing or social media and go and do branding. So hopefully and it's a, it sounds really obvious the way I've just said that, but the amount of people. That, uh, that come to me and they, they're in a similar position where they're looking to make their first, you know, early hire. And, they, you know, they, they don't work out what they want, but they don't really think, you know, what they're best at, yeah. what they have in the role that, that um, you know, is a skill that's a kind of a transferable skill. I'll give an example, actually. I did a TV show a few years ago with a Jason Manford called The Money Pit, and there was a woman on there and she got a protein bar. In fact, it wasn't a protein bar, it was a, um, just a nutrition bar. Uh, facility in sort of on the south coast I think and she came in kind of looking for this investment for this facility and she built this facility from scratch and she was kind of like a nutritionist and chef so she, there was nothing she didn't know about it and um, she kind of got lucky because Jules and I are in the are in like are in crowdfunding you know we know a lot about making bars so um and she, it all gone horribly wrong for her because her first hire she went and hired a salesperson because everyone told her to go and hire a salesperson and um I've never recruited a salesperson in my life can't stand salespeople because I hate being yeah. sold to. Yeah. You know, it's it's back it's back to that extension of the brand. So if you can get someone who is a good communicator, who's likable, who's trustworthy and reliable, who does what they'll say they'll do when they say they'll do it, and they do it to the best of their ability, you've got a good and they love love your brand. You've got yeah. a fantastic salesperson. If they think they're a salesperson, you probably don't have. But what she'd done, she'd hired a sales guy, and it had been a disaster. And then what was happening was she was all somehow just buried in finance. And, and I said, can I, just, can I just say straight away, I said, the best salesperson for your business is you. I said, so why are you doing all the finance stuff? There's no one else to do it. I said, are you a trained bookkeeper? She said, no. I said, how many hours a day spending doing that? She went, four or five. I went, that's the easiest job in the world to find a bookkeeper. I said, hire a bookkeeper, get rid of your sales guy, you go out selling, and, and it's that simple. And she's like, it was like I'd just shown a fire for the first time. And it sounds easy when someone explains it back, but... Um, but, you know, we're in a similar position ourselves. You just can't quite think what you need. Um, but it's exceptionally difficult to find people without a shadow of a doubt. And I think when you get probably beyond 10 or 12, it probably starts to get a little bit easier as roles become a little bit more defined. Because to your point, yeah, you, you go and get like a lot of mini entrepreneurs because you don't want someone that can just do one thing. Because, you know, I think the first marketeer we looked at hiring when we were probably about four people, um, he came from quite a big, uh, really nice guy. He came from quite a big retailer that we, that we respected. But because he worked with a thousand other people, we couldn't actually work out what he did. Be because of saying, well, do you do graphic design? No, no, I've got someone that does that. Okay. Do you do? No, no, I've got someone that does that. Well, can you do this bit? No, no we've got someone that does that. Uh, and then I said, just joking, I said, do you empty your own bin? And he went, no, no, we've got cleaners to come and do that. So I just thought, it's amazing how many people in these big organizations, you know, have got people there that actually sort of don't do a lot. Um, and you could it's go and just take them all out. It would make no difference whatsoever. I think sometimes, and a lot of people are looking for work, they, it's not just because they want a job to, to, to support their life. Sometimes it's, I want a job at this company for this reason. It's a great brand. Mm. 
it looks exciting. But you are right. If you're joining a, a, an SME business, a small to medium-sized enterprise, whether they're at the start or on that early stage journey, you have to accept the fact that your job description is going to be a bit grey. You have to understand yeah. that actually one day you're doing this, but then you might be asked to pivot over here, move over here. If you're joining a small business, be prepared to take on more jobs than, than your job description defined. And if you're somebody who says, I only want to work in a black and white job description, I can't work outside of that, go and apply to the big companies, the big corporations yeah. where you are very, very good at what you do in a great business and you'll be efficient. You join a small company, yeah. you're joining the wrong culture and sometimes people get that wrong. They need to look at what they like doing. Some people love having the autonomy to do a thousand different things and they're great in SME and you'd probably love to hire them early on, but you're right. The person who can't even wipe their own backside in a startup venture is never going never gonna to survive or add value to the company. People need to be real about what they like and therefore apply to the appropriate business, businesses. It yeah, and I think lots of people think they want to go and work in an entrepreneurial brand because um, it sounds amazing. But then again, you know, and in some respects, it, it probably is. But then working with entrepreneurs is quite hard because, you know, we, we expect a lot. And it, it, you remember, you know, there's really there's pretty much no job in that business I can't do because I've done it all before. So, you know, I can't I can't do graphic design, but, I, I, you know, I, I know a bit about it and I could, you know, I could bodge my throat look horrific um but i also but i know it looks good so you're not going to show me something that's shy and i go oh yeah good job um you know so i used to do all the um uh, you know all the uh, i was you know i was effectively finance director before I actually gone when i got somebody who was competent but when when tom came in as sort of cfo he said i've never inherited a balance balance sheet so quickly because because i was busy and doing lots of other things you know any invoice that just came in i just paid that day um, and I actually had, I had complaints from suppliers saying, you're messing me up, you're paying me too quickly. I said, well, look, I'm busy. So if you don't want to be paid, just don't invoice me. But the day I get that bill, I'm paying it. Um, but, you know, and, and, and actually by doing that and paying people really quickly, I think we kind of, in, we sort of, uh, we invented the ability to, to negotiate um, discounts of invoices because yeah. then, because, you know, I, you know, I'd pay one of my foreign suppliers quickly. He could then pay his supplier quickly. And then we started negotiating better prices. So all of a sudden, you know, that, that sort of, um, you know, because we've got the cash to do it, paying quickly was, you know, worth probably five to eight percent. Well, you don't get five to eight percent sat in the bank. And actually, when our first private equity company came in, they wanted us to put everyone on terms and we lost the eight percent. So we were giving away terms, but we were worse off and I could just never get my head around it. Ironically, what you've shared there is a, is a great partnership in a supply chain. Ironically, we're in an environment right now where the supply chain is trying to do the complete reverse. A lot of companies are trying to hold on to their cash as long as they can, extend those payment terms. Everyone's yeah. looking after cash because it is king right now. How have you have you been able to maintain? I know a lot of that was when you were operating, and then you brought in a financial controller, actually, or a CFO to focus on that. How have you found the supply chain with you during this time? Because ultimately, there are elements that you need to purchase. How have you found the supply chain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, really reverse. We've got fantastic. You said about having relationships with the supply chain. I'm a little bit old fashioned in the sense that. I really believe in everyone doing well that's, you know, involved in the chain. So, you know, all of our supply chain leading up to, you know, let's take bars for an example, all of our supply chain leading up to us getting our, our bars, you know, I want them to make money um, because if at any point they're not making money, we're just going to suffer because they're not going to keep on sending us stuff, you know, for free or to lose money. It has happened, believe it or not. Um, but, you know, if we'd like mutual agreement, but I want them to do well. I want to get the best product that we can develop. Yeah. And I'm not overly sensitive, you know, what I pay for it, provided that, you know, it's what you can sell it for, really. So provided that, you know, we can sell it and we can make our margin middle, we can make it operate, I'm fairly relaxed. And again, you know, I want, I want consumers to get 
um, you know, the best product they can. Yet they're not going to get the cheapest product if they're buying Grenade. But also if you're driving a BMW, you're not get the cheapest product either. So there does come a point where, like I said earlier, you know, people just will pay more for just stuff that, that's better. Anyone could just knock out something that's cheap and nasty, but you know, that's just not us and it just never will be. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think having had this relationship with, uh, you know, the suppliers coming into this and they've seen, you know, we've, I mean, you know, we, we make not just the best-selling protein bar in the country, we make the best-selling chocolate bar in the country. So you can imagine the volumes that we chew through some of these facilities. So we're pretty important to them. Um, so again, just, you know, absolute transparent conversations of what we need, what they can do. And so far, you know, touch wood, everything we've needed, you know, we've got. Um, it has been tricky in the supply chain. We've never run out. Because I admire that because I do agree. We're all, I think every business is its own living organism and every part of that needs to basically benefit and work together mutually. Let's consider that you're now a company of 70 staff, you're across the world, you've got people in different locations in different areas. Although that could be a core belief of yours, the supply chain needs to all benefit, we need to work. When you've been hiring people, that inevitably there'll be people whose first objective is probably, let's smarten this up, let's save a few pennies, a few pounds here because it will help the balance sheet, but it's not helping. How have you been able to identify people who can be efficient, yet still stay to your core <laughs> principle? Do you know what? It takes years. I'm smiling because I think of a specific example, actually, but there's, there's many of these. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, you don't want someone to come in who absolutely nails everyone's hats on, you know, with cost, because obviously that's not how we've operated. You know, but you don't want someone just coming in again, whatever, not my money, it's ours money or it's, you know, line capital's money. So, you know, what the hell I get paid every month. You don't want this laissez-faire attitude either. So you do, this is the tricky bit then, because you've got this big grey area in the middle. Mm. Um, when we had our CFO come in, for instance, where you've got our thermodetonator box, our fat burner box, you've got that grenade bottle within yeah. a box because you can't get all the information on that bottle. So the box is important. And also from a theft perspective, there's a transparent window in the front of that box. And when our CFO came, he identified that that transparent, that perspex window was the issue that really we always had with production of the boxes because it was the complicated bit. Printing cardboard's easy. The, the, yeah. That perspex box was, if something went wrong, it was always to do with that. But we'd, we'd, you know, we'd manage that. But it was also, it was a big chunk of the cost of the box. So if a box was 50p, let's say, you know, that window was like 13p. And he said, if we just don't put that window in the front of the box, you know, it'll save us like 30 grand a year which is a lot of money for any size business and certainly was back then. But to my mind, it was ruining the product because he was making the product sort of worse because then you just have this like big hole in the front of the box. And, you know, you couldn't quite steal the product, but you could if you were kind of spent enough time and effort with it. And it went from looking, as you said earlier, kind of quite cool, to just looking a bit cheap and nasty. And I was just, and I just said, no, not to check, you know, over my dead body. And you this still have it in from, there now? Yeah, uh, yeah. But, and, what, what I would say, and, if you got rid of it, you turned it into an Easter egg. That's what yeah, you've done. Yeah, yeah, Removed exactly. It, an Easter yeah, egg. exactly. Yeah. So um, what we've uh, we did actually do Easter eggs this year, to be fair. Okay. Um, but and it, but it's a constant. You know, um, it's a good example of say, you know, and in this case, you know, Tom Murphy, um, uh, our CFO coming in, you know, one of the smartest hardest working people you never ever met i mean you know honestly one of the best hires that we ever made he's been with us six years now and he's a shareholder in the business um but you know coming in perfectly rational sensible idea save money you know you couldn't fault it other than the founder and the person that invented the product just 
didn't like it because it ruined the product, you know, and, it, and it's just sort of, so on one hand, you've got all the sort of the, the, the rationale, and on the other hand, you've kind of got, you know, the, on, the entrepreneur. So how but, did he but, demonstrate to you? Because if somebody was coming again tomorrow, well, you're right, a rational, logical thing that will save mm -hmm. you money. Yeah, he wasn't wrong. As the, as the founder, this is your baby, and you don't want your baby being put in the wrong clothes. That's what, we, what you're doing right yeah. now. How were you yeah. able to still see, although he's rational, he gets where we're going with the brand and protecting it. Because a lot of CFOs might be, well, this is efficiency, that's what you pay me for. I should pay for my own cost in the business by the savings. Yeah. How are you able yeah. to still think he's the right person for our business? Yeah, I think just having that mutual respect of, of and again, you know, even before he got the job, um, you know, I, I mean, we had 489 people apply for that role. And yeah. that was six years ago. So I, I met the top three. And again, and they were all good, you know, from an interview perspective. Um, he stood out literally because he's six foot eight. Um, but also, you know, he he went over and above, you know, the, the extra mile. I mean, you know, I gave him my, I, I always give out, when, if I interview anyone, I always give a business card. I'm quite old school like that. Today, yeah. I've only ever had one person use it, and that was him, which I find absolutely bizarre because if the CEO gives you his card, use it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, uh, he texted me or he, I think he emailed me actually then texted me asking how the process was going you know if, if you know there's anything I could share with him and just really intelligently and sensitively you know it's kind of like you know nudging the CEO who's busy saying you know have I got the job um, and me at that stage probably not knowing yet you know and again I always replied and said look you know we'll get back to you here anything you know don't call us we'll call you sort of thing um, but there was a big show that weekend uh, body power show so you know we um uh, Jules and I went to this show and again there's the sort of two of us and probably two or three staff and like a team of athletes and you know he came to the show um you know and he paid to get in he bought all of our products and he'd already bought them online beforehand yeah. bought everything tried everything came up and again just did it perfectly you can't teach this yeah. a lot of people come up to me at shows and they're just they're a bit of a norse and it's actually a bugbear of mine because you're paying five thousand pounds or five thousand dollars very often an hour to be there and your mates just pop up for a chat and you're like fuck off i'm working you know you, you can see your mates anytime um and it being a he came to look i don't want to bother you i know you're busy i bought all your stuff i love it stan looks amazing you know have a great show that was it and kind of walked off but you know all the time thinking like god this guy really you know cares and and as an entrepreneur you can't ask for anything more than someone that sort of cares you know, like, like you do really. And this is just where you have that mutual respect of, you know, we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll discuss stuff and I'm good at what I uh, do and he's good at what he does. And then, you know, you, you sort of make, make a decision, but I've never really had a difficult conversation with, with Tom. You know, if he thinks well, I'm wrong, he'll tell that. me, which is brilliant. All recruitment processes are really competitive like that. And what's nice is mm. he hasn't done anything, which sometimes isn't just sensible common sense. What he's done is he's yeah. made, made himself more human to you because he's given you a touch yeah. point. He's made himself rememberable to you and he's used the tools you've given him, a business card. Yeah. And he's had enough self-awareness to realise that event's costing you money. But do you know what? You've, you've remembered and six years on, you're still talking about him coming to that event. He did his job. Hey everyone, Alan and I are just going to take a quick coffee break. Well, I say coffee break, a virtual coffee break, because we're both in our own home. So we're going to go to our own kitchens, we're going to grab a coffee. While we're doing that, one thing I just wanted to let you know is, please go and have a look at the Recruiter Ricky website. There is, of course, the entire podcast there, but there's loads of other videos that are useful for people that are either looking to hire people more successfully, the employer, or they're looking to get themselves a better job. So have a look at the Recruiter Ricky website, check out some of the other podcasts, 
please, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, leave us a review. Really appreciate all of the support. That's why we're doing a second series. So, right, I've pretty much finished my coffee. I'm going to guess Alan have because I can't see him. We're not in the same room as each other. So let's go back over to the podcast again. Let's pick up on the conversation. Here we go with Alan Barrett, CEO of Grenade. Well, if I take that back a step, you said, was it 489 applications? Is that what you said? There were, yeah, 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 yeah. 480. How did you get from 490, 89 applications to three people to interview? Because that's a piece that a lot of people get wrong. That's the CV bit. That's the non-human element. That's the, here's some words yeah. on a paper. Do you want to see me? How did you get yeah, down to three? So by me not being involved whatsoever. So actually what happened was, so um, in fact, it was two of the guys from, so at this point now, because this is when Growpoint Capital invested back in 2014. Yeah. And said straight away you need a CFO. So that's what this process was. Um, I'd never used a recruitment um, um, consultant before, actually. And we kind of got lucky in the sense that, because um, it's, again, a specific role, in this case, finance. Mm. It's kind of a fairly well-trodden path. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, because, you know, you'll know way about recruitment, me. But I imagine, you know, there, where someone's kind of well-connected in finance, it's not just like, you know, broad sales roles or, or things like that. So um, we used a guy called Jamie Rodden who just knew, again, a lot of local candidates who would probably be right, uh, who weren't necessarily looking. So uh, used him, and he worked with two of the guys from Growthpoint Capital, Clive and Avatar, and they just literally just sifted through everyone to kind of give us the three. And of course, you know, out of 489, you know, there are probably a good chunk that, you know, weren't, weren't going to, um, you know, make, make, make the grade for that level of role, which was kind of operational CFO. Um, but yeah, that, they did all the filtering. And again, that, that's the hard part. We get now easily between four and five hundred job applications a week, just because because people approach us without even advertising for anything at all. I mean, we just advertised for one actually, which was Chinese speaking. It was quite a specific role, um, and you know, and, and, and we actually filled it pretty quickly. Um, but the number of people that came to me and said, "Actually, I've seen this role," um, you know, is sort of is staggering. But that's kind of as well, a little bit of a bugbear of mine when we're advertising a role and people just go straight to the CEO. Because I know, despite the fact I've just said that, you know, in Tom's case, you know, that was more of a C, uh, um, that was when the business was like six people. Yeah, and it, the business was six people. So I was interviewing at that stage. I think, you know, as, as we get to this stage now, as much as I, it's nice for people to say reach out and put themselves on the radar, I think that's all they should do. So I think I've had a few where someone's reached out to me and said, oh, actually, I've applied for this role. Um, I love your business. I'd love to come and work for you. And I hope I do well and wish you all the best. That's great because it doesn't really warrant a response. Yeah. You, you, you know, I don't want to confuse that with people that just kind of like, have I got the job? Have I got the job? Here's my CV. Here's my CV. Here's my CV. Oh, you know, I'm a personal trainer and I love training and stuff. And you just think, oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's some awareness, right? It's if somebody is applying yeah. to a role, a you you got to look at the level of the role and who it reports to. That's the person you're really trying to convince. And what you've probably got is a third party, either an external right, recruitment company or an internal HR authority yeah. going through. You need to appeal to your stakeholder, appeal to the third party, whatever that might be. And yeah, if there's an yeah. opportunity to let senior people know, but don't hound them, don't expect a response, don't chase them. If you can make yourself memorable, great, but don't expect to get anything from them. Yeah, exactly. And don't get me wrong, you know, I love the, the, the hustle. And, it, you know, I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. So, you know, in one hand, you don't want someone that's not hungry for it. But on the other yeah. hand, you, know, you just want them to use your common sense. Because remember, you know, if, we, if we're looking for, say, someone that's an account manager role, 
and it's going to be working with Tesco, you know, they've got to find the right person to talk to at Tesco. If they can't find the right person to talk to at Grenade, they've got no chance of finding the right person to talk to at Tesco because you can't just go to Dave Lewis, the CEO of Tesco, and go, uh, who, who do I talk to, mate? And yeah, again, the amount of people that contact me and just go, oh, I want a job in graphic design, uh, can you tell me who to talk to? We just think, you know, I'm not the switchboard for the business. Search Grenade, search the graphics department, you'll find the head of creator, you'll find half a dozen graphic designers. Ask one of them. It's, it just feels like a really lazy way of doing it. Like, you know, if I, if I was having a struggle... It's there for a reason now. Um, exactly, it's a yeah. Networking yeah. Tool, but it does map out companies at any point. And I'm going to ask you a question on one of your posts on LinkedIn recently, which... Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 it's, it's, it's a good yeah. one. Actually, I, I think yeah. it's a nice thing to discuss with COVID. So you had a great post you put out less than two months ago which has had over 12,000 engagements in terms of likes and, and reactions, which is the one showing a lot of the grenade crates that yeah. you're sending out to the NHS um, during these times. And you haven't mentioned it, humbly not, but I'm going to ask you, tell us a little bit more about how you've been helping the NHS heroes, because this is, this is a remarkable story. Yeah, so that's just had just over a million views, actually. And, and uh, yeah, I, I discovered I'm not really big into socials at all. So I'm on Facebook, I don't really bother with Twitter, I do a bit on Instagram. But, you know, we've got lots of uh, ambassadors and influencers have got huge followings on Instagram. But I, I, you, you need, like, something that's quite visual for that um, as such. And I was probably a bit late to the Instagram part, and I don't really post that much. Um, but I've kind of found my following, I think, probably with LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, generally, I'll, I'll be reaching, you know, between two and four million people a month quite easily on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I said that post had just over a million views, but the most, the, probably the biggest reach I've had is probably about two and a half million um, and yeah, well, I think I'll like post a week, but I have tons of thousands of so views. Yeah so what, what, yeah, so what happened with that was just about a week before lockdowns, so for sort of mid-March, um, the, the sort of the senior team, and I would call it G9, because it's like the nine of the senior managers um, at Grenade, sitting down and of course, you know, we know there's something serious coming with COVID, but we don't quite know what. The hospitals are gearing up. Tom, I mentioned before, his wife is a nurse, so... Yeah. You've got a bit of an inside track into some of the stuff that they're doing. Already seeing, you know, some of the issues happening, uh, you know, in Europe. So we kind of know what's coming. Um, and we've, we've always, Grenade's one of those brands where, yes, we do a lot with military, but that, that kind of um, became broader in the sense, not just military, but anyone's kind of serious about what they do. So anything like blue light services, we call them. So, um, you know, doctors, nurses, emergency workers, police, um, you know, all branches of the military, people who are just kind of, most of these people probably tend to train, um, you know, I'm generalizing. So, and we're kind of like the edgy brand that they'll, they'll, they'll look for. And, and again, busy people. So we'll be the type of brand they pick up when they're running through a train station or an airport. And I'm um, saying to the guys, you know, we really need to think about how we can um, send some stuff out. Because again, we wanted to send some stuff to Tom's wife, Eve. Um, and we said, yeah, just give them some cases of energy and whatever. And just as we were um, talking about how it'd be nice to do something bigger on a broader scale, um, but, you know, how would we do that? How would we donate some product? Because they weren't going to have a chance to eat. Um, again, through LinkedIn, I had a doctor, Dr. Kate Brunning, I think her name was actually, and she sent me a message saying about she was an anaesthetist at one of the London hospitals. She loved our bars. They were sort of stuck gearing up. They weren't eating properly. You know, is there any chance we could supply some bars for some care packages? So... Um, we're like, great. So it just kind of fell into our lap. So we said, like, yeah, here's, a, here's some stuff for, for your award. She shared it on her social pages. I shared it on mine. And I think then within a few weeks, we'd done 818 pretty substantial care packages. We had to be careful. I mean, like, you know, almost like a pallet's worth per ward. So yeah. we had to be careful how we did it because we didn't, the last thing we wanted was that, you know, 
COVID victims coming in every five minutes. So it was a pallet of grenades to have turned up. As you can imagine, you know, that's kind of like a wasp with a barbecue. So um, we wanted to make sure we did it. So it, it, we weren't a nuisance, which was important to us. So we started doing that. Um, and then just through some friends of mine in the military, um, I had Ron Dennis reach out to me. Wow. And just as we were kind of starting to not wind up these care packages, but obviously we're, we're a business. We're also trying to ship out stuff that people are paying for. So the free stuff is kind of getting, kind of getting in the way of doing that. Um, and Dennis from DCS, our, um, our logistics partner and warehousing partner, was fantastic. They picked and packed all the orders for free when they found out what we were doing. So everyone being super supportive, again, through the whole supply chain. Um, but then Ron Dennis reached out to me and then Ron had got this idea then to do something kind of bigger and better, which is his, you know, million meals for the NHS over 12 weeks because his daughter is a doctor as well as an anaesthetist, I believe. Um, and he said, actually, we're doing these care packages, we've got energy packages and we've got people providing fruit and blah, blah. But when we're asking people what they want, most people are saying protein bars. He said, yeah. like, you, you make the best protein bars in, you know, the UK. And this is from the founder of McLaren, you know. So um, he said, look, you know, I know you don't know me. You've got, you can just say no, but is there any chance, you know, you can help us with this? So we, we provided a quarter of a million uh, drinks and bars for them. And I think we've done another 100,000 on top of that since. But, um, yeah, all that got shipped to one location to Absolute Taste in a, in, near Vista. And then that's been put in various care packages. Um, and, again, it sort of found its way out there. I know... I don't know if a lot of people are saying, they probably are online, but thank you on behalf of everyone as well. Because oh, it's a pleasure. At least we could do it. Right now, the amount of people that are sitting there in business thinking, Christ, it's a tough time right now. We need to protect every penny we possibly can. Every piece of stock, we need to get it out, get the money back on it because we've invested a lot of money here. To sit here and get that amount of product out, um, give it to people to help them to keep the country going, that is taking the... The, the commercial hat off and that's putting the emotional kind of that's bringing your heart out and that's what's great to see and to me it's those things that that's the reason why I think you guys are doing so well as a brand because you stay true to the brand and you've seen people you can help with the brand not profit off and that's what's amazing to see well that I mean you know the, the brand's got a face you know definitely and you know we, we've had I mean you know commercially it's been sort of you know tough with us as well we furloughed about eight to ten people just because through no fault of their own they just couldn't do their their job um so uh, you know because the channels they're working like food service were just closed so what are they going to do for the next three weeks so you know we absolutely took advantage um of that situation whereby we could almost just pause for three weeks and save some cash you know I think that saved us around about 44,000 in, in payroll that one particular month and literally we went running around turning taps off so yeah. as I think lots of businesses did um you know as you said this is one of the nice things actually about probably having built the business from just the two of us because I can look around the business and just see stuff other people wouldn't see literally went to the HQ and I said okay uh, the bins <laughs> you know what yeah. we do with the bins because we, we, we don't need bin collections now probably for a couple of months well that was a couple of thousand quid so it was just you know stuff that we could turn off uh, we absolutely turned off various marketing shows that obviously weren't going to happen um stuff we committed to didn't happen so we turned as many taps off as we could but you're right the flip side is as well we're lucky you know we make healthy long shelf life food products yeah so god i mean you know there's not many businesses I'd rather have been in. Uh, and like I said, you know, other than hand sanitizer, and that's not going to last forever. So I think, you know, we've had a really good business to, to ride this out. So yeah, we absolutely should be helping. Um, you know, these are all nice, hardworking people. So, I mean, we did some stuff, this is going to sound barmy, but we, I've got a vegetable patch at, at home. 
and um, I've got a huge lavender bed. And by coincidence, this year we took out the lavender and we're just deciding what to put in it. So because of this COVID situation here, some fresh fruit and veg is hard to get. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the local businesses are struggling. We've just turned it to a giant vegetable patch like the farmers that live next door can't believe what we've done but we're just going to give it all away to needy people because we can just grow stuff for nothing really while mm. people are struggling and if more people just did that um you know it, yeah this would we, get through the crisis kind of quicker and easier and to be fair i think they have this is this is brought out you know the best in most people it's brought out the worst in some people um, but it won't, won't last forever. And I think, I would like to think that, you know, the nurse that's just had a shitty 12 hour shift and, you know, hasn't eaten anything at all, but maybe had one of our bars, one of our shakes, just and if it was that, you know, versus nothing, at least hopefully comes out the other side and thinks, do you know what? I'm really glad that, you know, we provided that stuff because again, obviously, you know, we're running a commercial business, but this is, I can't think of a better place to put product than in the hands of people that, that really need it. Um, an operation it's incredible what you guys are doing and you've been commercially sad what you're doing in the business but you've also been helping others and you used a word a minute ago that I loved you said we should do this if we can do this we should do mm. this a lot more people were acted that way I can promise you we'd be in a much better place than we are right now and it is going to recover that's what I keep telling you yeah of course it will it won't I, I, it won't last forever and it was found earlier so operationally this is where we learned a lot because as with most brands that make have food for instance mm. the stuff was there just in the wrong place so you know one of the some of the bars you know we weren't we, we aren't just sat around on millions of bars you know we don't know what to yeah. do with far from it you know our, our demand very often exceeds our supply but you know we had a million bars going to the us that particular week and they got there we turned them around and bought them back again <laughs> to give them away in the uk but again you know the, the retailer they were going to in the us they, they could have easily gone there but we just had to quickly work out you know what was there and, and we learned a lot um, as well by doing it but sorry cut across you but it shows you how agile the business is i think that's what it shows you and um yeah i would say that's a great example of why people work with why you get so many applications to your jobs why people enjoy working with you so if you could give advice to anyone right now who was applying to a job doesn't forget it doesn't have to be grenade it could be anyone um, considering what you look for as the founder of a company what's the one thing you think they need to demonstrate at interview which will make them as employable as they can be um, I mean, do like, you want people to, to, to stand out? Um, I don't do the first interview stages uh, of, in, in the, the business because they, otherwise you don't really have a bad interview if I'm in the room very often because I don't tend to ask difficult questions. And in the past, I've kind of stuck my head around, ended up in a chat, really liked them, offered them the job there and then, which I shouldn't have done. They've started and been crap. <laughs> it's all been my fault. Yeah. So I'm not allowed near candidates anymore. But I think someone's got to really show that they're, they're passionate uh, about you know the the, the brand um and they and, and it's going to sound really obvious but they've just done some research in the sense mm -hmm. that you know they know what we do and, and, and whatever i mean i have had some people do some really weird shit in the past where i had one person once he presented like a dossier um basically on me um and all of the groundwork he done was on me and it was a bit like you know i'm exaggerating but it was a bit like yeah so here's a picture of uh, you and your mom and your cat um yeah I took, I took this one i took this one with the night vision goggles uh yeah. outside yeah yeah here's you in the shower um, i took this one from the living room yeah. while you're out <laughs> i was absolutely terrified yeah. <laughs> i was just thinking shit but i couldn't wait to leave um yeah, yeah so we've, we've 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 had some, some, some bad interviews over the past self-awareness um, i think is keeping there then 
Yeah, definitely. And again, you know, people are really nervous when they come for job interviews. And, and I, I, you know, I've never actually, I've never been for a job interview because I've always worked for myself. So because I'm yeah. clearly unemployable, um, I, you know, I've, I, I, I don't understand why people are so nervous because I've never had to do it. Um, but, you know, when people come in and, you know, if we're in the room, I, the, the thing that I tend to do actually is I just, we have a laugh and a joke. I take the mickey because I, I would like to think at that point, you know, they, they can do the job, but that's probably half what we need in the role, the ability to do the job. The other half is the cultural fit. And that's what I'm interested in. Because, you know, if someone has got through the next first few stages, say with finance, I'm not going to check the credentials. It's already been done. I want to see if they've got a sense of humour, you know, what they know about the brand, what they're like doing. I want to know what they're like, because they're the person that, you know, I'm going to throw into the mix with another 50, 60, 70 people. And, you know, as you'll know, dynamics change when you bring uh, people in. And, you know, we've had bad hires in the past, every company has. And if you've had a bad hire, I mean, they say about that one bad apple spoils the barrel, but, you know, that one person turns into a little click of three, which turns into a little click of five, and it's just kind of poisonous. And I just won't stand for it, um, you know, at all. So I, let a, I would let a lot go at work. I mean, you know, we take Nerf guns into work. I'll buy the Nerf guns. I'll encourage it. You know, they're all yeah. shooting at each other and blah, blah. And I walk past and someone dinks me off the head. And I don't mind all that, provided people are doing the jobs well, enjoying it, and the brand's growing. You know, if it's not, and it's just turned into a holiday camp, then, you know, I'm a different person because it'll be, well, actually, why haven't you done this? You know, and people are sort of shocked by that then. So I've never raised my voice. I've never shouted it out at work, you know, ever. But I think I'm one of those kind of CEOs that actually, if I just say, I'm really disappointed in that because that's shit, um, they'd be absolutely mortified. And to be honest, I didn't realise how much power I had with that. When I made, I made a comment, um, oh, God, it was last year, I think, and it was just some stuff to do with some, some data. And I just said, and it was not anything wrong, but I was just, I just, I didn't believe in this particular data that we bought. Um, and I sort of said something that was kind of negative and not someone in the room, but it really lowered the set, the tone in the room to the point that like after one of the sales guys said to me, and he said, just be careful. He said, cause you've got such a big shadow that, you know, if you say something like that, that's, you know, basically it's got a, it, it's crap. He said, it just, it really demotivates people. He said, you're so likable. <laughs> he said, you know, if, if you're then not that likable character, he said, it's just, you know, potentially could be really damaging. He said, because people would have been worried all that about, you know, worried about it all weekend. I've just kind of said it, like I said, not at anyone in the room, no one's anything wrong, but just said something and then just kind of left. And I've just completely forgotten about it and gone and do something else. And you probably get eight people there really crushed, um, so to speak. So I've, I've got to learn as well how to, you know, just basically manage. Well, you know what's that, great that, about what you just shared there, considering how successful the business has been, it's been driven by you, therefore how successful you've been. What's great for people to see is when they're considering working for a company is to remember that whoever the people are in that business, at whichever level they are, we are all still learning about how we act as human beings. We're all still learning on the job, whether the business has to change because of the market. Um, and actually sometimes understand the fact that you're joining a company where you're going to evolve with them. I think that's a real nice mm humble side to show out because a lot of people think that um their leaders know all the answers that's not saying you don't know the answer but it's also showing that the leader themselves also is somebody who's driving the business forward and you're part of that so that's really nice to show because mm. i think people forget the fact that we're all human beings and when you join a brand or a business you're joining somebody's baby as i called it any brand is someone's baby and you're joining their livelihood yeah, well, the thing is, I mean, I, I'm probably more of a wartime leader than a peacetime leader, because if it's, you know, in peacetime, so to speak, there's not that much to do. If you've made good decisions and people are doing their job, you know, and, you know, you're sort of steering the ship, but the, yeah. the ship's already on course. But, you know, during this, I've been able to, 
probably, you know, go a little bit more over and above personally, you know, for some of the team because, you know, I've employed friends in the past and nine times out of 10, it doesn't work, but there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, if you employ a friend, they're probably not going to turn into a great employee. If you get great employees, chances are you can actually become good friends. And I think that's what's happened with a lot of the people at Grenade where, um, you know, it's a really friendly culture. There's lots of, um, you know, friendships at work. And, you know, I've, I've got lots of friends that work there, despite the fact they all work for me. And yeah. you need people that understand that, that you know, that the, the difference. I've got some of the guys who were like, you know, my first, um, you know, employees. And, you know, they'll call me mate in meetings and that. And I just, you know, I don't mind that. They, they, they've earned that. You know, we are friends. They, I know they're good and bad points. They know mine. They've been with us for, you know, in some cases of eight years. Um, and, you know, we've got that kind of relationship. You don't want the, someone coming in, you know, new in an interview doing that on day one because I've had that before. And you just think, well, hang on a minute, I've never met, I'm not your mate, I haven't met you. And that's not a, that's not a, a you know, a, a snobbery thing. It's just, it's a bit like that military hierarchy such of just kind of just, just earn that. Again, you know, if I go and meet, you know, Lord Sugar, I'm calling him Lord Sugar. You know, I'm not going, all right, Al. Um, you know, because I know for a fact you'd hate that because that's just common sense. I think the, um, the reality of what you're saying there, again, it is self-awareness. A lot of people need to realise, you use the term, I use this quite a lot, you've got to earn your stripes. Look, everybody's, you're right, great yeah. people work close enough together that they, they might spend more time with each other than their loved ones. They're never going to develop a relationship, a friendship most likely, but you've got to earn that, you've got to build the credibility with each other because I'm not going to call one of my employees on their first day, mate or buddy or pal. Yeah. That might happen over time. And likewise, I don't want them to call me that either. So you're right. Be aware of others might do things that you will not quite earn the, the stripes to do that yourself yet. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's something that I believe in at Grenade that you never really hear talked about in terms of business culture. And it's humility. And I think it's because we work a lot with military and elite military. Some of the shit they do, honestly, for no money. You just, you, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff they do. And again, you know, what's happening now with the NHS and some of the stuff they do while everyone's kind of, you know, just sits at home and moans about it, um, you know, is ridiculous. But I do believe that that, that humility is worth a lot. And it's a very, very sort of undervalued, um, yeah. you know, trait really. And again, I know, I mean, I don't consider myself successful anyway, but I know people are infinitely more successful um, than me. And, you know, I was on a, on a game drive with um, Richard Branson. This was in 2016. And uh, we got there through Virgin Fast Track. And uh, I, I happened to have taken some pictures of, of wild dogs, which was his um, favourite animal. And um, he said, oh, you know, and this is Richard to me. He said, uh, would you mind if I gave you my number, so my email, so you could send me those pictures? And it's just like, but not like, here's my email. Um, you know, but you know, would you mind? So, and I, my initial reaction is just taking the piss. So I said, I don't remember Richard to be honest, because yeah. next thing you'd be sex texting me, Joan will get all upset. Where's it going to end? Yeah. Um, and of course, people don't take the piss out of him, um, you know, as well, because he's not used to it. But uh, so I, I'm a massive believer, and I'm always saying this at work, and I'm sick of hearing me talk about it. You are always judged by the company that you keep, and I'm a massive believer in just surrounding yourself with great people, which again, you know, is what we're talking about with the, the whole kind of recruitment thing. But um, if you can just surround yourself with great people, then, you know, I just, I can go and conduct the orchestra without yeah. running around and playing all the instruments, um, which I mentioned that to Richard actually, which he said he was going to nick, so I'm gonna, I've got that trademark, so if he nicks it, I can sue him. Um, <laughs> but, 
but, it, but it, even during the COVID thing, you know, I'm, I'm quite fortunate in the sense I've got no children. I'm fit and healthy. Um, you know, I, I've, I've got a, a gym at home and I'm very self-sufficient at home and I've got my veg garden. So, um, yeah, I've got all the hassle of business and I'm worried about 70 people. And there's lots of stuff to worry about, but there's people, you know, inside and outside Grenade far worse off than me. So, you know, we've got people are asthmatic and they've got small children and, and whatever, you know, who are naturally concerned and why wouldn't they be? So, you know, one of the Saturdays, I did a 200-mile round trip dropping off hand sanitizer at people's doors because one of my friends owns a hand sanitizer factory and, um, and ships them to me and just left it outside the doors, which I don't know if the CEO of many businesses would do that. Um, but that was actually really, you know, no one knew I was going to do it, but it just, you know, just like I said, left it around the doors and by the bins. And one of my, um, uh, one of the uh, employees said actually, so you're the best CEO ever. Um, but, you know, she couldn't leave the house. She's asthmatic. Her son's asthmatic. So, you know, so people are really worried. So that's like half a day. And frankly, there's nothing else to do anyway. <laughs> you know, you can't, so it was, it was, I was kind of, I felt selfish because I was using, you know, kind of delivering medical stuff as of kind of an excuse to go for a drive because I wanted to, you know, get out of the house. So, you know, it wasn't entirely selfless, far from it. Um, but that stuff's really important and it goes a long way. And, you know, that, that's just all part of building that culture. Because if you do something for them, they'll do something for you. This never works if you've got someone kind of taking the piss out of the other um you know so it, and i think that reciprocates top to bottom you're doing something for them they'll do it for you but likewise as a new employee to a business do something for the people around you they're going to look after you as well and on board you help you understand the business help you understand the culture and give you a better shot at fitting in so i've got yeah. two final questions i'm going to look at our ones focused for you guys and ones focused for our audience so what's next for grenade so whether there okay, is a so, the next 12 months or so well we've got a new product launch this friday Wow. Uh, 28th with a, with, a, with a new limited edition bar that's coming out. Um, we've is that just, the one that you put special delivery to my house? Isn't that the one that's coming here? Definitely for that? not. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but, yeah, that is definitely not in the post. Um, I'm sure we can organise something. I'm sure we can, I'm sure we can figure something out. Um, we've just made a giant grenade hot air balloon, which nice. is, is built, just being registered at the moment as a new, um, as a new type of flying device. So that'll be, that'll be the tank for the 2020s. I mean, obviously, the limitations of what we can do now this year and where we can go. Um, like I said, I'm enjoying it kind of feeling like a startup again. And in some respects, the pressure's off with lots of things because where we're deliberating about big corporate events and big marketing events, we just can't do them. So actually, someone's kind of come in and said, yeah, you can't do all of that. So just kind of, you know, go and be creative, which actually is perfect for me. Um, and so... Um, very much more of the same and building the brand internationally, getting back to, you know, where we were at the start of this year, you know, with our Q1 numbers and all the boring stuff like that. But otherwise, I feel like we're just getting started. So um, we've just done a, a recent just soft clothing launch because we've, we've made clothing as long as we've had the brand, like, you know, for 10 years. But people uh, really gravitate towards the clothing that, you know, they love it. So we're definitely, although we're kind of, we were say we're a bit of a healthy snacking brand, we aren't really, we're a brand that does healthy snacking, but actually we can do clothes and other stuff. Um, it's not just kind of drinks and bars. Um, I mean, there's lots of things we've missed out on this year that, uh, again, I was looking forward to again with, because like I said, we, we do some stuff with some special forces guys and they let me blow things up and whatever. So that hasn't happened this year. So hopefully we'll make up for that next year. Yeah. But I think I genuinely really want all of our team to be, um, you know, safe and, and healthy, um, keep growing the, the brand and really just keep having fun and just keep doing stuff that's not been done before and of course you know all the traveling's off so i've not traveled since early march um but um there's still quite a few trips that have, that have been cancelled um but i think just getting the brand you know 
back to back to where it uh, where it was. I've just written down two things you said that, which I absolutely love. Keep having fun and doing something you haven't done before. They are two mm. great mantras to um, for anyone working in a company to do play freely right now. Have some fun, do new things. Um, thank you. No exciting time. Obviously, COVID permitted what can and can't do. The the hot air balloon thing sounds incredible. Um, I assume you've you've invited Sir Richard along with you because we know how much he likes his hot air balloons I, over the years. I, I've showed him actually. I showed him that, but I showed him the initial designs back in December, which he absolutely yeah. loved. In fact, and he had some suggestions which he didn't quite understand, <laughs> and I didn't want to clarify with him on email. But um, yeah, he was a, he was a bit of a fan. And again, that weirdly hadn't occurred to me until afterwards. Yeah. Um, which was strange, but it was only just, we, yeah, I, was, I was out in the Middle East and um, I, something jogged my memory. I thought, actually, no, I'd love, and we'd, we'd already been building it since the start of the year, the middle of the year. And um, I said, oh, actually, Richard loved this. So yeah, I just sent it to him, but yeah, he's, he's, he loved it. So uh, might go for a little, uh, little flight in that. Um, okay. And but, the other question uh, I've got for you is more recruitment oriented. If there was one final, other than we'll do the quick fire in a moment, which would be secondary, mm -hmm. but if there's one last bit of advice you could give to anyone right now, if they were a job seeker, um, what advice would you give them? I mean, this, this has been a fantastic period, I think, for reflection for everyone. I'm sure mm. you, definitely me. Um, thinking about really what's important. I'd imagine there's a good chunk of people now thinking, do you know what, my job's bloody amazing because of X, Y, Z. And the firm have done this and that and didn't have to. And it's been brilliant to know how lucky I am. I imagine there's equally the same amount of people who don't feel that way and are desperate to go and do something else. So um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to steal uh, Richard's words in terms of screw it, just do it. And I think, yeah. yeah, if you're looking to, you know, you spend a long time at work. If you're not happy at work, myself included in this, you do have a choice. Most yeah. people do have a choice. Do something about it. I mean, I know people, uh, I mean, a, a friend of mine, Carl Locker, I did a podcast with him actually a few months back. Um, he, he inherited his, I mean, he, he was a former gang leader in London. He inherited his mum's toilet cleaning round. He was earning £140 for two weeks of cleaning toilets. And he, he, you know, he decided, and, and actually that, that, that got him out of that gang life. Yeah. Um, and now he's kind of partying with Richard on Necker and doing, and he's an ambassador for big change and doing stuff with Strive. And that's how I met him. And it's incredible, yeah. you know, the, the lot that you're given does not have to be your lot. So it's not necessarily going to be easy to get out of it, easy to change. Change is never easy. Um, but to anyone that's absolutely stuck in a rut, wanting to do something about it, now is probably, there will never be a better time to do something about it. Because I think now, in the period of life that we're, we're having, a lot of this, I mean, there's things happening now that you'd never dream of happening and they're just getting kind of brushed through, um, you know, the fact everything's been shut and that it's just been, been forced through it's such a record a record pace um these would have been unthinkable you know probably would have taken taken five or ten years to get to some of these uh, yeah. decisions that have been made um so i think now is the time where almost anything goes and i think that's people find that quite scary but i find that quite exciting we don't have to do a lot of this stuff we're thinking now when we go back to work actually do we all have to go back to work are we all gonna have 70 people back in the office five days a week because Let's try and find a better way of doing it. Um, and in fact, we've got a call tomorrow morning with the team about, okay, what's the better way of, yeah. of, of doing this? Because, you know, I don't want to be necessarily in an office five days a week, either for 12 hours a day. I'm sure lots of people don't. So yeah. let's try and find a better way of doing this where you've got a bit more of a, not work-life balance, but like a work-life blend. Yeah. Um, 
and, and I think again, as you've said on, on you know on the talk, that there'll be lots and lots of companies throughout this whole pandemic who've either done amazing things or dare I say sort of show the true colours. So de depending you know who you work for, um, and I imagine there's, there's you know some of these industries are going to be damaged irreparably, irreparably say that word for a long time, you know, like aviation for instance. So and those people are going to go and look to do, I'm sure, other things. But yeah, if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? There's so much support package available. Aren't happy. If they're not happy in what they do, they have a choice. Yeah, um, change it. Use your freedom of making a choice to drive a change. It might not be easy. Yes, there are risks and variables at home and money needs to come in and family supported. But don't be happy in what you're doing because you'll bring that into your families. Otherwise, be happy in your day to day. Um, and that's exactly the message I'll echo out. Yeah, do you know as well, I'm, I'm a fan of, I'm going to contradict myself again there because um, I'm also, I, I like the fear factor in the sense that actually when I get comfortable, I feel uncomfortable, if that makes sense. And I'll give you an example. So when I have my distribution business, yeah, we had a great business. It's growing year on year. It was really hard work because I've never done anything that isn't hard work. But otherwise, it was kind of easy. We, there was no risk. We got past the risk. Um, you know, I got paid every month. It, it made good money. It was Jules and I. It was a nice lifestyle business. Mm. And actually, because everything was kind of right and we'd done everything we thought we could do, that, that kind of scared me. The safety element scared me. Um, so we sold it to my best friend and did grenade and then look what happened. So, you know, there was an example actually where there was nothing wrong apart from the fact there was nothing wrong. <laughs> um, but I couldn't see myself doing it for another 20 years. Um, you know, when I, when I worked in a gym, the, the, one of the gyms I worked at was actually up the road from Land Rover. The amount of people that would come in, and again, good job, well-paid job, would come in and go, oh, I've got a job for life, mate. They're never getting rid of me. Oh, I'll be there for the next 40 years. Yeah. And you think, oh, God, you're 20. You know, just think, oh, that sounds horrendous. And, I, and that's not a criticism because some people are very happy like that. They're content. They're content to do the same job for 40 years because their dad did and their granddad did. Um, and they don't want that change and they want three weeks holiday a year Funny you say it, the life planned out for them i'd hate that i don't necessarily feel like there are such things as jobs for life anymore i think the whole market has no. changed now that and i think this compounded on top of that there isn't such a thing for jobs like we have to be prepared that things will change and what do they say um in order to keep evolving and, 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 and succeeding, you need to get comfortable in the uncomfortable. That's the reality, right? We have to get you to drive mm -hmm. magic. We need to be uncomfortable. And that's the only times that we're put under the pressure to do it. Okay, Al, you've, got, you've had an inspirational story. I'm sure people have said that to you before, but you generally do. Um, what's more inspirational for me is 10 years on with the company, I bet you're as passionate, if not more now, than the day you started it. And that is testament to what you've created mm -hmm. and how you operate. And that will be the reason why you've got 70 staff across three continents making the revenues up to 100 million that you do, why the business is going, because it's infectious. So thanks, Al. Appreciate your time. Good luck with everything that's happening. Um, and um, I hope I get to meet you at some point when we're allowed to see you. Definitely. Time. Yeah, the reality. Thanks for your time, Ricky. Much appreciated. Cheers. No problem. Thanks, Al. Thanks very much. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. That was the main interview. That's now concluded. But I wanted to leave you with something additional. Every guest that I interview, I ask them quickfire questions. These are questions to look at a CV, to look at what they look for during an interview, to understand how a candidate more successfully onboards into a company. What I don't do is make it easy for my guests. These are quickfire questions gut reaction. Quickest response is the most honest response. Hopefully in doing so, we're going to unearth some nuggets of information that are going to help you to more successfully get hired. Enjoy.
Right, everyone, it's that time of the podcast now where it's our quick-fire questions. I've got 20 of my questions for the co-founder and CEO, Al Barrett, Alan Barrett of Grenade. Um, Al, just a reminder of the rules. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm looking for you to give me your quickest, and I do use the word quickest because I know how much you like to talk, gut reaction. The quicker and, quick, uh, the quicker and shorter it is, the more honest it is. Um, 20 questions. We've had some people do this in about a minute and a half. We've had some people take five minutes and we can fall asleep. I think you're yeah. going to sit in between the two of them. The rules will be I'll fire the question, give me a quick response. If you don't like the question, you can pass and move on to the next one. But I okay. do think people who pass aren't great. So I don't think you're going to pass. Um, I'm only winding you up. And the quicker we do it, the better it is. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is, this is not going to end well. I'm going to regret this. Cool. But go on, fire away. Uh, fire away. If you take too long, I'll move us on. So, question number one. What does the word entrepreneur mean to you? Doing something differently. When you prepare for any big meeting or pitch, what's the one question you ask yourself? Uh, I want not to mess it up. <laughs> um, what characteristics in a person do you look for when hiring? Passion. What advice would you give to somebody when they're looking to hire the perfect CV on paper, but the person was terrible in the interview? Yep, don't do it. What's been your biggest mistake when hiring? Trying to replace myself. Assuming you still read CVs, but what's the first thing you look at when you read a CV? Where they live. What encourages you to read the to the end of the CV? Uh, generally the font it's written in, believe it or not. <laughs> what's the best way to leave a lasting impression on you throughout that CV? Uh, I, I think make me smile. If you had one bit of advice to give to somebody who's writing a CV tonight to apply to a job tomorrow, what would that advice be? Uh, spell check it. What's the one thing people seem to leave off a CV? Genuine likes. I think Genuine likes and dislikes, I think. What's the worst thing you've seen in a CV? Uh, I've, uh, where people have spelt my name and the brand name incorrectly. I saw a grenade spelt with two Bs. Is that not how it's spelt? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that, that was Ross. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, it was Ross. What's the most annoying thing you've seen on a CV? Uh, I think where they probably overly confident and, uh, yeah, big themselves up too much about how fantastic they are. Okay, questions on the interview now. What's the work... What's, what's the first thing you look for at a person during an interview? Eye contact. What engages you to continually listen throughout the interview? I think them being passionate in what they're talking about. What's the, way, the best way to leave a lasting impression on you when they leave the interview? Again, make us laugh. If you have one bit of advice for somebody who's preparing this evening for an interview tomorrow, what advice would that be? You might pass, I'll come pass. back to that one. Yeah. <laughs> What's the one question you think people struggle with? Uh, why do you want to leave your current job? What's the worst thing somebody's done in front of you during an interview? Someone dropped the C-bomb once. <laughs> that, is that is tragic. And what's the most Twice. annoying... <laughs> Twice. Um, what's the most annoying thing somebody's done in front of you during an interview? Uh, I had someone fart once in an interview. <laughs> and apologize. it wasn't me. <laughs> oh, well, they just no. We just, it was like the elephant in the room. We just kind of ignored it and moved on. But it was like we moved on, but the smell didn't. 
<laughs> Brilliant. And what is your killer interview question? Oh, why do you want to work at Grenade? Like it. I'll come back to the um, question that we've oh, asked. Yeah. Um, if you had one bit of advice to somebody preparing tonight for an interview tomorrow, what would that be? I have a valid and honest reason why you want to leave your current role. People always lie about this, I find. I like it. Well, we got to the end. That's all 20 out. Thank you very much. And that Brilliant wasn't too bad. Because that was hard, that was. It was intense. That's the quick fire questions. You've already heard the podcast. The last thing for me to ask is, can you please subscribe to the channel? And more importantly, could you leave me a review? The best thing about reading reviews, not only are the positive and kind comments, but most importantly, hearing how you've actually been able to use this advice to get yourself hired. So thank you. Subscribe, review. Good luck.